is going to be our most chaotic episode to date, but we're doing good. <laughs> All right, go for it. Welcome to Book Talk Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina. And I'm Renee. And this is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest mood readers who are easily distracted by new releases. And today we're talking about our shelf editions. If you enjoy listening, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have a quick minute, please consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or sharing us on social media. All of this truly helps other book lovers find us. Hey, everyone. It is the first Tuesday of the month. So as always, we wanted to take the time to invite you to join the Book Talk Etc. Patreon. Patreon is an online membership platform that gives you a way to financially support our podcast. And honestly, it's so, so appreciated. Your support allows us to take on bigger and more exciting projects. And for $5 a month, you get access to all of our bonus content, which is two bonus episodes, including what's in the mailbag and a selection of either criminally booked, books we did not finish, book talk after dark, or really anything we come up with. But you also get an invite to a live event, which can be a book club meeting, mood reader happy hour, or author chat. And most recently, we did a summer mixer, an end of summer mixer, and got to know some of our patrons with us uh, a little more intimately, and it was super fun. And there's also, of course, spreadsheets and social connections via a private Facebook group and our Discord server, which I know we spend so much time in chatting, sharing thoughts, quick thoughts about books and things that are not always book-related. So if this sounds like something you'd be interested in, we would love to have you join us. Head to patreon.com slash booktalk, etc. to sign up. And again, thank you for your support. Hey, Renee. Hey, Tina. How are you? Oh, girl, I'm okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We just moved into our, our new house. So it was a hectic beginning to the week. We closed on one, closed on another, and moved out in the span of three days. Like it was wild. So shout out to my husband. Literally, we were unloading cars till midnight one day. (laughs) And I was like, oh man, the new neighbors are going to think that we are crazy because like (laughs) we're just like out there in the middle of the night (laughs) trying to move in, but we had to get out. So it's been wild. I'm very happy to sit down and record a podcast episode. And you are the first viewer to my new library, which currently is mostly full boxes. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, moving and or packing and moving and then unpacking is yeah. is one of the most exhausting things to do, but then once it's all done, oh my gosh, I can't. It, wait. It, it's always great. Yeah, but yeah, that process is whoo. It's stressful. Now, how have you been? I've been good. I have been reading up a storm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just busy. I don't know some end of the summer busyness, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, I, nothing too exciting. You, I don't have, I don't have anything exciting. To I will report. trade. I, I don't want excitement of this kind. No, it is great. <laughs> it's awesome. I'm just ready for like this weekend. Right now, we're recording it September 1st, and we are so excited to have. I'll work the next two days, and then I have a three day weekend to really just get in. My goal is to have it mainly unpacked by Monday Labor Day. So we'll see how I do. <laughs> yes, we are heading into the first 
Buckeye football game weekend in Columbus. So that, I guess, has been a big deal. That's exciting. (laughs) Well, honestly, and we told you that we've adapted um, Ohio State as our college football team because John and I both did not go to, neither one of us went to a Division I football school. So we have no allegiance. We're from Illinois. U of I is really not, you know, whatever. They're on. Cool. We Mm -hmm. might watch it. But I'm like, I feel like we can like, you can adopt us into that fandom. Okay, good. Yes, yes. yes. You have some great gear too. Oh, Ohio State has some really nice gear. I'm like, maybe I need a cool like fall sweater. I feel like I might. Yeah. Well, I will lead us in with my loving lately, which is book related this week. Ooh. And I, okay, I am bringing some book templates that have been created by Kelly at kellyhook.readsbooks on Instagram. Now, she is also a patron of ours, but I had followed Kelly for a while on Instagram. She has great content. Not only does she have beautiful reading guides, but she just created templates for everyone based on what she did for herself, which was called Battle of the Backburners. So she took her own books off her shelf that she had been meaning to read And she had them compete against each other. So she would, and so the templates are really interesting. You you pick one book and you have it go up against another book. So you read both of them and then you have a winner. So almost like a- March Madness. Final four. Yeah, March Madness. Yes, type of, that's what I'm thinking of. March Madness type of bracket. And so she was nice enough to create a whole bunch, different ones. There's an eight bracket, 16 bracket, four bracket, and you can do whatever you want. There's also one that is for book covers. So you can just, if if you think, oh, I'm not going to read all those books, well, do a book cover one. I think this is a great way to bring some fun into reading. And I have decided I'm going to do a battle of my own bookshelf. Mm-hmm. And I love I'm it. going, yeah, that, so that's going to be one of my first ones. I also am going to do a tandem smaller one, Battle of Crime Fiction. Nice. <laughs> because at, I don't know, I think it will be fun. And if you're not on Instagram, go ahead and email us at booktalkexc at gmail.com because Kelly has given me links, Google links to all of her brackets and templates. So I've kind of figured out how to screenshot and then crop it and make it. I can put it right in an email as well, and I can give the Google links. So either way, yeah, I just, I love fun content like this. I'm going to give it a try. Now, who knows how long it will take me. I think it took Kelly (laughs) nine months because Uh she ended up having a baby. There's no time frame. You know, you do what you want and you make it fun. So that is Reading Templates by Kelly Hooks. Dot reads book. I love this. If there's one thing I love almost as much as reading, it is planning reading and like coming up with these little <laughs> yes. challenges. Now, <laughs> never once have I ever finished a challenge that I have set for myself. So maybe this could be my new challenge. I love the idea of making one for books that you own and just having them, mm-hmm. you know, kind of on your shelf. And I like, you know, maybe one a month, maybe two a month. I feel like that's doable. Yeah, I think anything is doable, especially when there's no time limit. And I forgot to mention, she has a a really nice list of ideas. Mm. So if or inspiration. And yeah, I think if if you were gonna do one right now, 
what would you do for your battle of? Definitely the books that I own because I'm about to, okay. as I was packing them all up, I'm about to unpack. It's so exciting to look at them and be like, wow, you know, I'm really trying to decide what I'm going to keep, what I'm going to sell, what I'm going to donate. I've done that. I've done a ton last month. I was like sending books out like crazy, but I really want to try and make my home library a space where I've either read the book, which I love to keep as little trophies and as little reminders, or books that I want to read, or obviously ones that are new that I'm sent that I want to use for content and things like that. But that's kind of my three pillars. But there is this group of books that I've been hanging on to for literal years that I've not read for no real reason. So maybe I'll join you. That could be super fun. Yeah. I'm actually really looking forward to it. And of course, you'll hear about them if they make it to my latest reads, but I'm excited to pair up some biggies, Mm -hmm. for example. I don't know if I'm going to pair them against each other, but I do want to pair up Station Eleven. I'm thinking uh, Greenwood by Michael Christie. Those are two on my shelf that I've been meaning to read. And So yeah, I may pair those up. Who knows? It's just fun. It is fun. And hey, we all love a good book challenge. I'm glad you highlighted this because I saw her sharing hers on her Instagram. But I was like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I guess I never took the time to be like, what are you doing here? (laughs) I thought she was like just having us vote on, because I've seen that before. Like, oh, what's your favorite book of the year? And people will vote on the Gunkle versus Station Eleven or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah. Okay. What are you loving lately? Mine is very much tied into moving (laughs) and it's simple. I promise I will, once I'm all settled in, I'll like kind of curate and come up with things that I've been trying, things that I've been loving. But right now I sat down, I was like, what have I literally been loving lately other than like moving (laughs) like a good pair of sneakers? (laughs) And it's my Starbucks pumpkin spice flavored creamer. Listen, I understand not everybody is into the pumpkin phase, but I am. Mm -hmm. I've also tried a ton. I've tried Chobani. I've tried basically all of the store brands or any other brand that you can find that's pumpkin pie flavored or pumpkin spice. And this one's the best. What I like about the Starbucks one is that it is not too sweet. I can't do it if it's too sweet. It's also not fake tasting. I don't like a creamer Mm -hmm. in general. Actually, this is the only creamer I take. Normally, if it's not pumpkin pie season, I take skim milk. So this is my only time of year really where I use creamer. And I like that it's not chemically tasting. There's no weird aftertaste. It's creamy. It's awesome. I I love it. And you can get it anywhere. They they sell it at Target. They sell it at... I know my dad gets it from Costco. He'll get like a big pack of three. (laughs) I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) that'll keep you for this season. But I just wanted to put you onto that in case you are like, okay, what is the best pumpkin spice flavored creamer on the market? I think it's from Starbucks. Okay. you have. There's going to be a lot of people very appreciative of you sharing that. Yep. And I would love to know, are you a pumpkin spice kind of person? Or are you not a pumpkin spice kind of person? Because I know, like, I feel like you can't be neutral on this on this topic. Yeah. How do you feel? Well, well are you talking about me and, or other people? No, in general. I want to know, <laughs> you know, I yeah. feel like it's it's not something for everybody, but for those that know, they really like it. Yeah. I actually would not have thought of a pumpkin spice creamer. I like a pumpkin spice latte. I don't get them too often, but I do like them. But I use regular creamer. I've never thought to even try a flavored creamer. You know, it is the season. It's September 1st, like I said. So, you know, we got to kind of, we got to dive in and and be festive. All right. Okay. I will tell you about my latest read. 
Actually, well, today also we will be talking about our shelf edition. So our our topic for oh, today yeah. is we read. Did we mention that? <laughs> no. Well, we did in the intro, but let us tell you what we're okay. doing. Okay. So our topic yeah. today, we thought it would be super fun. At the end of each show, we wrap things up with our shelf edition. And this is a book that we are adding to our proverbial bookshelves, whether it's a physical book, if it's something we found, something we've added to our TBR. We thought it would be super fun to dig in and really see, okay, are we reading our shelf editions? Where are we getting these (laughs) recommendations? Is it totally random? If we do read them, did we like them? So this episode is dedicated fully to shelf editions. So I read, my latest read is not a shelf edition, but the other two are. Okay. All three of mine today are shelf editions. So my latest read is a shelf edition from way back in episode 18, our Dark Book Club episode, and it is The Vanishing Point by Elizabeth Brundage. Now, she's the author of All Things Cease to Appear, which I have not read, but I do think that would be a great spooky pick. Mm -hmm. I've added that to my spooky TBR. The Vanishing Point is billed as a gripping literary thriller. I am not going to say that it was gripping um, or not that I didn't like it, but I don't think it's gripping based on what Goodreads says. And when I think thriller, I think fast paced and this is not a fast paced story. So you cannot go into it thinking it's a fast paced story. This is about some old friends who meet in college. So you have Julian and Rye and they're photography students at a work, they meet at a workshop in college. Rye needs a roommate. Julian moves in, and Julian is very quiet. He's kind of he's very envious of Rye. It's they don't really have a best friendship, but they they do spend a lot of time in each other's world, and they both become fascinated and captivated by a certain talented classmate named Magda. Things happen. And the way the story is told, you initially in the opening scene get present day, which is 20 years after they meet. And in the present day, with the setup of the story, Julian is reading a newspaper. He finds Rye's obituary. And yeah, and it says that he... Interesting. It's really interesting because it says he is presumed to have committed suicide. However, there's no body. So Julian decides to attend the funeral where he meets Rye's wife. And from there, the story goes back and forth in time. And also, it was told in a really interesting way because what kept me compelled to keep reading was what happened how did Rye end up where he was? What do we need to know? Or what did I want to know about Rye? And where is he? And so, oh, and she really, it really, truly, it was a compelling story. However, my criticism of this is there ended up being one too many perspectives that got introduced. The one that really bugged me the most, though, it did not get introduced until much later in the story. So I guess on the one hand, I'm I'm glad about that. But then once it got introduced, I was like, wait, no, it it really slowed it down. And I don't, I didn't find it necessary. Mm-hmm. But I, what I really did love was the way the author weaved 
in past and present using perspectives because we got to hear from Rye. Rye is one of the perspectives. That was going to be my question if Rye was a perspective. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yes, I love that. Magda comes back in. We get her perspective. We get Julian. We get uh, Rye's wife. And every it's almost like a tangled web Mm -hmm. that she just, she gives out little, 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 but it keeps, it kept me reading. I just think it, in the end, it was, it felt a little too long and a little unnecessary to have that added perspective. But overall, I really liked it. And I do think, pick this up if you are really in the mood for a literary mystery, but know that it is literary. The writing is really good. That doesn't mean too slow, but just kind of a slow burn. But that's okay. And and if you're in the mood for it, I think you will really like it. It's The Vanishing Point by Elizabeth Brundage. Nice. Yeah, I don't remember that one. You said it was the early ones. So it doesn't surprise me that I don't remember that title, but I like the way that you set it up because I do now and again like a like a literary mystery versus like a thriller. But it do, it sounds yes. like they said thriller and it, it doesn't sound like it was. I didn't find it to be a thriller, no. Yeah. Because really there are some aspects of it where you do I guess a psychological thriller, maybe, because you do wonder a lot of times who is possibly not reliable or who Mm -hmm. is not necessarily telling us what was actually going on. So I guess now that I think about it, it really was more along the lines of psychological thriller. So not in terms of a fast-paced action thriller. Got it. That makes sense. And fair Mm -hmm. enough. Yeah. Well, what's your first book? All right. So mine, I'm so excited. I was packing in the middle of all of it. And I was like, I need a book that's going to just grip me. I don't care if it fits into any particular episode theme. I just want something that gets me. So I finally got to a book Mm -hmm. called Allegedly by Tiffany D. Jackson. She is an author I've been meaning to read forever. And this book is dark. It is dark. They call it Orange is the New Black meets Walter Dean Meyer's Monster, and it is a gritty, twisty, and haunting debut. This book is a debut. And when I tell you I was shocked when I read that, I'm like, in no way does this come come across as a debut to me. So what this is about is Mary B. Addison, who killed a baby, allegedly. So again, right off the gate, this is a dark book. If you do not like dark and demented things. Please don't read this because it's pretty twisted. (laughs) However, it is really compelling and it's very thought out. It's very, oh, oh, let me tell you more (laughs) because it was, it was really good. Okay. But again, dark to the point where I I started listening and I was like, "Mm," Lily was sleeping. I was like, let me go just check on her and make sure everything is all good in there. I was so creeped out because you open up, (laughs) it opens up and she is in this group home and you find out that she is there because she murdered a baby. And you're like, excuse me, what do you, I, I don't understand. But again, allegedly, the thing is she stopped talking in that very first interview with the detectives, she did not say anything. She didn't deny it. She didn't confirm it. And her mom was there too, because they were watching this neighbor baby. Her mother was actually the you know babysitter, but allegedly Mary killed this baby. Mary and her mother are black and the baby is white. And her mom is a church going woman. And after Mary gets convicted, she goes full in and is kind of a changed woman. Now she still comes to visit Mary in the group home, but you can tell this woman is not, she, something happened. Something is going on. You don't know if it's mental illness. You're just not sure, but you definitely can tell that Mary's mother is a little bit unreliable as a character. And now, This is in the synopsis. 
So it doesn't happen until later on in the book, but this is kind of a kicking off point because now Mary is pregnant with her own baby. And of course, in, in given that she's in this group home, they're going to take the baby away once she delivers him or her. So she's like, all right, now's my time to talk. Now's my time to tell the story. And so she does. And her mom knows the true story and she knows the true story. So this entire book is just basically a recounting of what happened on that day when they were watching this baby and they and the baby died under their care. So there are a lot of perspectives. You get a little bit of a flashback. You get a little bit of a present day, but really you're you're sitting with Mary this whole time. She is definitely a character that you're not sure about, but you you can't look away. Bonnie Turpin narrates it, so automatically, you know, it's going to be amazing. She did a really, really good job with it. And even though you you understand that she allegedly did this very terrible thing, I found myself rooting for Mary, which is almost this unsettling experience because you're like, wait a minute, she did this thing. But also, you want her to keep her baby. You want her to be able to have this new life because she, you know, met a boyfriend at this job that she has, and you you kind of want her to have this. So she finds a lawyer who believes her, and they are redoing the testimony. I don't want to give too many details, but know that the legal stuff, if you like that sort of element to your fiction, I really enjoyed it because there were some things that they were talking about doing that I was like, oh my gosh. They did compare to Orange is the New Black, and I totally see that comparison because not only do you get Mary's story and you're inside Mary's head, you also hear about her fellow group home mates. There's a lot of tension. There's some violence within the girls because they all have their own story. And it was really interesting that the author was able to layer that in. I thought it was super fun. Okay, so my only beef with this, and I know folks will either love it or hate it, was the ending. I, oh, and I'm talking the last paragraph, last couple pages, we'll say. Mm -hmm. The ending will shock you. And I don't know how I feel about it. I don't know if I loved it. Either way, I loved this reading experience. And the ending didn't ruin it, but it was definitely shocking. So I will let you read this book for yourself and kind of decide like, okay, do you love it? Did you want something different? You can't deny though, this book was fantastic. It was a touch long. But I think because the author took so much on, she also did a really good job of highlighting the flaws in our criminal justice system. If you like books that tackle that, books that have great unreliable narration, there's a little bit of mental illness. There's definitely a complicated mother story. If you like all of those things, I definitely think you will get pulled into this story. Great character building. And I cannot wait to read more by this author. She has one coming out this fall, and it's going to be on my list. This book was Allegedly by Tiffany D. Jackson. Oh, gosh. I'm like, I'm glad that you love that. I loved it. It was great. And in fact, that's my favorite book of the ones I'm bringing today. Of course, it was the one that was not a shelf edition, but that's okay. (laughs) Okay, good. All right. I saved my my favorites of my shelf editions for my other two. So let's dive in a little bit to our shelf editions. Let's get a little, let's share some of our book nerd data on our shelf editions. Mm -hmm. This was fun. You know, I'm not a data girl, but I really enjoyed coming up with this list because it was easy. They're all listed at the end of each each episode. Right. It was eye-opening. So I do think I will be more... Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna adjust my shelf editions moving forward. I was gonna ask you that if it's going to change the way that you select the shelf edition. I think me too. I think so. Well, we had about 47 shelf editions mm-hmm. since we started the podcast. 
How many have you read? I read 19. Okay. So did you get a percentage on that? So I tried 37% of my shelf editions. Okay. That's good. Okay. I read 21% of my shelf, of our shelf editions. So I read 10. I DNF'd six. Mm-hmm. And I have 32 unread. 32. <laughs> that's, see, that's pretty high. That's actually not too bad, right? I mean, that's not too bad. Well, uh, and I will say a few of those, I I think I read like a page or two or I listened to like two or three minutes. And mm-hmm. whether it was the narrator, whether it was the writing, I just dismissed them or timing. And I don't count those as DNFs. The ones that I DNFed, I actually, I remember most of them. Yeah. And I got, you know, I got a good distance into them. Same here. I only DNFed three, but a sample is different. If it's a couple pages, okay, that's not going to work for me in this moment, but I DNFed three and I got fairly far, at least 20% in all of those. Okay. So the way I figured it out, I basically wrote down my entire list. And from there, I had kind of two groupings. I I highlighted the ones that I did finish and enjoyed in green, the ones I did not enjoy in red and a sad (laughs) face. (laughs) And then I, too, put a star next to the ones that are still on my to-be-read list. And a lot of them, I'm like, eh, I don't think I'm interested in that book anymore. And that happens to me when I'm adding stuff Mm -hmm. to my TBR list because for one reason or another, I'm like, which one's this about? Like, am I interested in this anymore? Do I like these types of books anymore? So yeah, some of them actually came off my list, but it was fun to do this, to have this huge list of books to choose from, to read for for this show, because it encouraged me to just sample a couple, like try it, try it, try it. If it's not your mood for now, hey, at least you quickly got through a bunch of books that you at one point wanted to read. Right. And I guess, I guess we should backtrack for a minute and talk about how do we pick our shelf editions? Do you have a specific method to picking your shelf edition or how does a book end up as in that particular spot for you? Yeah, of course I have a method. It's not a great one. <laughs> Typically what I'm doing is <laughs> when I'm working on my script, I'm like, okay, I look at my phone. I'm like, what is the most recent book that I screenshotted? Because I usually screenshot books if I see it and it looks interesting from TikTok, from Instagram, from Goodreads, wherever. So for me, it's typically the book that was most recently added to my proverbial shelf. What about you? Well, I actually go through my list of NetGalley's and Libby library books that I have on hold or that I've Mm -hmm. just recently gotten. And I decide what I think sounds like, what comes to the top of, okay, that sounds really good to me. If I could read it or want to read it right now, what would be the book that I would pick? And that's the one I usually bring as a shelf edition. I actually love that. You're so smart because, and here's my flaw in the shelf editions and why I don't often get to them. I just see ones like, oh, it sounds good. Cool. Whatever. And then it immediately kind of exits my brain. I don't have it as a a library hold, or I don't have it as something that I put on my story graph. So maybe I could do that moving forward, have a special shelf or a special tag for some of my shelf additions. Because I think by doing that, it will really force me to say, okay, do you really want to read this book? Or are you just excited about it? Did it just sound good? 
You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and you would think with my method that I would have more success on. (laughs) (laughs) You're a mood reader to your core, babe. It's all right. (laughs) I am such a, yeah, because some of my shelf editions I'm looking at now and I'm, and I'm like, no, I don't want to read that anymore. And they don't even call to me. But at the time, they called to me. Sure. But I am going to readjust moving forward. And I'm really going to give a little bit more thought to whether a book I'm bringing as a shelf edition has more elements of, yes, this is something that I could see myself really, truly reading versus just a, oh, that synopsis sounds good. I'm just going to. I'm just going to add that and and possibly try it. You know what I mean? I would like to, the next time we talk about this, I would like to have more successes with my shelf editions. hundred percent. And I think too, we want to bring shelf editions to you all that sound good, get you excited about them. And then we want to follow up on that. I don't want to just have books that are added to our show without ever giving you our thoughts on it. Because I imagine it would be interesting, right? right? For sure. I know. I, I And obviously not every book that I think might sound good for me is going to be for other people. Mm-hmm. But, and then again, I think it's also maybe, I guess if we look at it in a, a whole light, we could bring shelf editions that may not work for us, but other people, our listeners especially, might yeah. really like the sound of. Yeah. So I can see doing that too. Yeah. I like that. I like that plan. I also like to highlight books that are a little bit lesser known, a little bit, you know, kind of yes. less fuzzy. And I think I have done a good Debuts. job with that. Debuts. absolutely. Debuts yes. for sure. Debuts mm-hmm. to get on your radar, to get on your mindset. Anything right. else with our track? Yeah. I have a question. If you, if you can answer of the books that you read, yeah. do you have a favorite shelf edition? I do. And there were a couple, there were a couple, but I'm going to go with one. Here's the thing. And maybe my methods do work because I remember exactly where I found this one. It was Confessions by Kane Minato. That one was my oh, favorite. Yeah. I found that one on TikTok. I don't know who the creator was, but I remember somebody sharing about it. I was like, that sounds friggin' awesome. So I brought that way back in episode 14. So that one was definitely a smash hit for me. I also noticed that I used to do a really good job of reading shelf editions or at least trying them. I would say our first year, maybe first six months or eight months podcasting, Mm -hmm. I probably tried every third one. And then there were just several months where I did not try a single one. So I'm like, okay, I wonder what I was doing on, on the earlier side versus more recently. Right. Uh, Mine are pretty spaced out. Actually. I, I had, as far as when I had the most luck with trying and in loving my shelf editions, some are from last summer, some are from the winter, and some are from the spring. So I guess mine are pretty it's like spaced evenly out. spaced. Okay. Yeah, my or yeah, evenly spaced. Um, my favorite. Ooh, this was tough because I brought the measure as a shelf edition by yeah. Nikki Ehrlich, and I also have cover story by Susan Rigetti as a shelf edition. But immediately when I was, I saw those two together, I still, I still have to go with cover story as my favorite. Mm -hmm. That one was just wild and fun. (laughs) Just a great story to like break down. Both actually were really fun to talk about. I will say. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. I feel really good about having those as shelf editions because somewhere along, you know, I was like, oh, I, okay. My method was working Mm -hmm. and to get those on my radar to then share them. And then they, you know, 
I, they ended up being very buzzy and yeah. So I don't know, but I did that too. I brought the violin conspiracy by Brandon Slocum back on mm-hmm. episode 14. So that would have been probably November of last year. And then it got obviously a lot of success toward the beginning of 2022. So I was very proud because I had known about this book for a long time. Then I'm like, oh my gosh, yay. Everyone else knows about it too. I did love that one. That was the second one that I was going to pick as my like favorite book that I had as a shelf edition. Okay. All right. Good. Well, let's share our shelf editions. Let's let's share. (laughs) Let's dive in. What is your first shelf edition? One of the 12 that made it to the actual red side of the pile. Okay. I'm going to leave my best, most favorite for last. Okay. So, But I am going to start with one that I just finished today Mm -hmm. and- Boy, I'm going to be thinking about this. It is When We Were Bright and Beautiful by Jillian Medoff. Ooh, yes. This book, wow. This was my shelf edition in episode 37, which was our episode with Danny Pellegrino. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to read this very short snippet from Goodreads because I actually agree with everything this says. This is billed as an electrifying, twisty, and deeply emotional family drama set on Manhattan's glittering Upper East Side that explores the dark side of love, the limits of loyalty, and the high cost of truth. That is very, very accurate. This story is about the Quinn family. They are very wealthy, and you have Cassie Quinn, who is 23. You have her brother, Billy. You have her brother, Nate. And you have parents, Lawrence and Eleanor. Now. Cassie is the narrator of this story. I did listen to this, but I also combined it in print. I did the majority on audio and Marin Ireland narrates. And I have to say, in my opinion, I've listened to many of her books. This is by far, I think, her best audio narration. Wow. Yeah, I almost... If you would have said there are different narrators here for for the guys versus the female voices, I would have said, yeah, there's definitely different narrators. She does an excellent job with voices in this story. Cassie is not that likable. (laughs) Actually, I don't think any of the characters in this family were likable. But then I don't know. I haven't decided as far as the brothers. But like I said, Cassie is 23, and here's what she knows for sure at her age. Money can't buy happiness, but it's certainly better to have it. Family matters most, and her younger brother, Billy, is not a rapist. Yes, I remember this synopsis, and I'm like, woo. This is a family drama slash courtroom drama because Billy, during his junior year at Princeton, is arrested for assault and rape of his ex-girlfriend. The Quinn family gathers, they scramble. Of course, they hire the best legal minds money can buy. Naturally. They're going to fight it. But also, you've got the media frenzy, you've got headlines, you've got jury drama. But But then it's also told with a whole lot of family backstory. Not too much, and it's interspersed with the actual courtroom proceedings and the legal behind the scenes of how are they going to fight this? So you you mm-hmm. have their lawyer who's also part of the story. What is his 
strategy? What is the media's strategy? It's very, very fascinating and also fast-paced. This is surprisingly fast-paced and very binge-worthy. I could not stop listening and reading, but here's the flip side. I had read many reviews, not the full review, because I, I was trying not to do that, but this book has been buzzy. It was a book of the month pick. I knew from seeing it on Instagram and Goodreads a little bit about what people were saying and the vibe and what people were saying that was that this book has a icky vibe. There's icky content. Yeah. And and I kept thinking, what could what is everyone talking about? I <laughs> that was my overriding yeah. reason for picking this up was to find out what everyone was talking about and did I agree with the ick factor. <laughs> and um, yes, and yes, everyone is accurate, very accurate, and it is uncomfortable. It is icky. It is making me think cuz I I am still thinking and I need to talk about this book. And I need to process a few things. There are so many content warnings. I'm not going to list them all because I do find a lot of them to be spoiler. But I will say I'm always I'm always open to be messaged. Definitely, obviously, because of the courtroom case, sexual assault, and it is a part of the content warnings. Um, this is also a hashtag Me Too mm-hmm. type of story. And the author's note at the end. I enjoyed hearing from her. I almost think I, I almost wish I would have read that at the beginning. Yeah. Because I kept thinking, what made her write this story? Because, oh man, parts of it, I didn't, it was almost like if you were watching a show, you probably would turn it off or just, you know, but anyway, lots to talk about. So I guess I could see why Book of the Month chose this. There's plenty to talk about. Am I still thinking about parts of this? Absolutely. I don't know how I feel about quite a lot of this book. I am really glad I read it because also what she did really, really well was take that whole courtroom suspense Mm -hmm. of did he do it? Did he do it? And is the jury going to find him guilty or not? Those are two separate questions. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm not going to tell you if both of those got answered, but I will say I am extremely satisfied Mm -hmm. with how the author chose to tell this story because, yeah, I'm going to think about this and talk about it with others. So do I recommend it? I don't know. It's With all those caveats of be ready for some graphic content, uncomfortable content, and dark content content. Mm -hmm. Be ready for all of that. This was When We Were Bright and Beautiful by Jillian Medoff. Got it. I'm glad you vetted that one. I kind of got the ick factor right from the synopsis. I was like, I don't know. I don't want to read this. (laughs) I don't know why. Something about, I think it was the the sister knowing that her brother didn't do it. I'm like, oh, there's going to be some weirdness there. But I did read Take It Back by Kia Abdullah. And I had some Mm -hmm. of those same vibes while I was reading that. I'm like, oh gosh, where are we going here? What's happening? But I think she did that book so very well. Yes, there's graphic content, but it wasn't done in an exploitive way. It wasn't gratuitous, which I enjoyed about that particular story. 
I don't think this was either. I think the author did a really good job of covering both sides of a story like this. but, but, But in doing so, you as the reader have to sit with a lot of things, content that you're not going to agree with and you're going to find offensive because of the nature of the case. Oh, gosh. Right? Very interesting, And remember, you, yeah, you also have a, this is the epitome of a rich people behaving badly story. Got it. These people are just not the best people. Mm -hmm. And boy, does that come to light and their privilege and their their entitlement. And it's, yeah, it's going to make, it's going to make you angry. And you're definitely going to feel things by reading this book. Okay. Good, bad, and ugly. (laughs) All right. The first book that I'm bringing for this episode is Admissions by Kendra James. And I brought this one back on episode 17. What I liked about it, this is a book about a woman who works as an admissions officer specializing in diversity recruitment for an independent prep school. I work in admissions. I love college admissions. I'm always so fascinated by this. But in this book, it's her memoir. What she's doing is looking back at the three years she spent at a school called Taft. And she's basically chronicling her life with her white roommates, her white classmates, and some of the racial tension that existed in their school. And it was shocking, some of the things. And again, this is memoir. It was shocking, some of the things that came out and that were sanctioned by the school. I will say this was in the early 2000s. So I think a lot of people did not have the language for things like microaggressions. And I went to school in that during that time. And it's just not something that was really kind of on top of everyone's minds at that time. But this, this memoir is good. She does a really nice job of telling the the highs and the lows of the school. She also shared a lot of early 2000s nostalgia, some of the things that she was into at the time. So I thought that was fun. She talked about, (laughs) she used, she printed out all of her instant messaging receipts or not receipts, but she printed out all of her conversations that she used to have through AIM with her friends and like the statuses for away messages that they used to put on. And I had to laugh because we did that same exact thing. (laughs) We would like find like song lyrics from Dashboard Confessional to put on our away message in AOL. And it was so, so of the time. And she talks about too, how she learned how to put language to some of the things that she was feeling. She was a legacy, and she started to think about it during her time in the program. Why is it that she, in the early 2000s, is the first African-American legacy to graduate from that school? And legacy means that her dad went there. So what is that about? It, It was just interesting to see. I think this is a very good example of what an institution should do with relation to talking about race with its students and what they should not do. I was very interested to learn more about why she got into admissions. And she didn't quite address that in a way that I saw. If she didn't, what I what I came to, though, was that she was looking back on her time years later when she had even more language to understand and unpack her experience. And she worked in admissions. I don't think she's any working in that type of admissions any longer. I thought it was really good. I liked it. I listened to it. And actually, I had an inadvertent great reading experience because I paired this when I was reading Girls with Bright Futures by Tracy Dobmeyer and Wendy Katzman. Awesome pairing um, because that one you brought to the show and that is all about the things that this family would go to, the lengths they would go to to make sure that their girls got into these super, super competitive colleges. 
So in admissions by Kendra James, one of her friends was not going to college. She's like, no, I'm not going to college. And she could not, she must have mentioned this 10 times in the story, like, like basically could not compute that this girl was not going to college because it just wasn't a part of her life. I enjoyed the story. Probably not my favorite memoir ever, but I think memoirs are super subjective, very hard to rate. I thought it was very solid. And I think if you, she's about four years younger than me. So if you went to college in those or even boarding school in those early 2000s era, I think you could get a lot out of this particular book. I enjoyed it. It was Admissions by Kendra James. And I'll give you the subtitle, A Memoir of Surviving Boarding School. Okay. I remember when you brought that as a shelf edition. So I'm glad that Mm -hmm. you... Yeah, I love it. What got me initially was the cover. The cover is awesome. It's it's basically a class photo, and she blocks out all of the people's faces, but they're, they've got these little colorful dots on them. And then you see her, and you can truly tell like how not diverse that school was at that time. Okay, gotcha. All right. Well, my next and last shelf edition is my absolute favorite, and I'm just realizing, too, I went from one very dislikable family to a family I love so much in this book. It is Signal Fires by Danny Shapiro. This is one of my most recent shelf editions from our Celebrity Book Club, episode 65. And this was also my prediction for a future, a November Celebrity Book Club. And I just couldn't wait. I could not wait on this one because- I was going to say, I was like, wait, this doesn't come out yet. That's awesome. I know it's October 18th. It comes out, but I've just, I was dying to read this and I'm so glad I, I, I'm so glad I did. And if you remember the setup, I'll, I'll refresh your memory because I just talked about it, but Signal Fires opens on a summer night in 1985 and you have three teenagers. You have a brother, a sister, and then a neighbor girl. One of them gets behind the wheel of a car and in an instant, everything on Division Street changes. Each of their lives and that of Dr. Ben Wilf, who is the father of two of the kids. He is a young doctor and he arrives on the scene first. And that is part of the story as to what happens. A very important part of the story because combine all of that and the circumstances of that fatal accident will end up becoming the deepest kind of secret, one so dangerous that it's basically never spoken about again, which is really interesting. The story progresses because this is definitely literary fiction. However, it's also a little bit of a, what I would call character-driven suspense with a tinge of mystery mixed in. This is definitely a character story. It's because you have this family and then Division Street itself and this this little like small town community, but also the particular street is almost a character in the story. And the fact that time has moved on because at a point in the future, a family moves on to Division Street and they are the Shankmans. They're a young couple, and the wife, Alice, is expecting a baby boy. And the circumstances of his birth also bring in Dr. Wilf, who is still on the street. And the little boy who is born is Waldo. And Waldo becomes also a character that 
we will follow throughout the story and Waldo's parents. This one's really hard to to talk about because you have an intersection and a connection between the Shankmans and between the Wilf family. And you also have a different, like the story told in differing time perspectives because, which I thought was genius. I wasn't sure how I would feel about it. For example, you have the 1985 perspective, but then the author will jump to 2010. And at first I was like, oh, well, isn't that going to give away that now we know what happens to some of the characters, but no, it does, but it doesn't. If And it really, it's hard for me to say because you have to read the story to experience the way she chose to tell it because then she will also jump to 2014 and 2020 and then back to the late 80s. But it's it's done in a way that there is enough time in each perspective that you can sink into it and you will get, you get to know all of these characters. And I became so invested. It's almost like getting to see the future and then going back to seeing how they got there. Mm -hmm. It was really one of the best perspective, time perspective stories that I have read. I loved these characters. I didn't like all of them, but I loved getting to spend time with them. I especially loved Dr. Wilf. I loved his family. And man, this is a story about what one choice, one really bad decision can do to the rest of your life Mm -hmm. and the lives of those around you. And you get to see that. And also, I loved how she brought in like tangents, like for example, stars and the universe, like the universe, the wider range. Astronomy is a a very big part of this story, which I didn't think I had any interest in astronomy, but I found it fascinating. I really did. This is definitely a book for people who want to highlight. I don't think I've ever highlighted more. And I'm very excited to pre-order this. I am definitely going to get a copy for my five-star bookshelf. And I want to end by saying, if you like a bittersweet story, but also one that will make you smile and that will make you want to hug the book, but also then will kind of make you cry. But it's a wide range of emotions. And I hope that we hear a lot about this in the fall. I really do. I loved it. Five stars. It's Signal Fires by Danny Shapiro. I'm so glad that that worked out for you because I know that that was one of your oh, I am most too. highly anticipated books. All right. Important question, though. Do you think this would be a good pick for Celebrity Book Club? Oh, yeah. That wasn't, I predicted it would be a read with Jenna. I believe I, I, th- I think that's what I predicted. Yeah. And because this was my prediction pick. I know, but, but now oh, having no, read it, think you think it would, would hold up? Oh, yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. The themes of this, are many, but other than what I just mentioned, as far as like fateful choices and decisions and all that, parenting is a is a really big theme. Aging, yeah, marriage. So all of that would be there'd be so much to talk about in a book club. Okay, good. Well, we'll have to wait and see. Oh, I can't wait. I know. All right. So my next book was Why We Fly by Kimberly Jones and Gilly Segal. 
This was actually my fourth shelf edition. This one was a, a throwback. And what initially drew me to this one was the cover. On the cover, you have two cheerleaders. One is black, one is white, and they're taking a knee. And that is kind of the jumping off point for this book. And you actually said something earlier that reminded me of my reading experience with this. Because earlier with When We Were Bright and Beautiful, you said you had wished you read the author's note first. Something I think this these authors did really well is to put the author's note at the beginning of the book. So you got to know their perspective as to why they wrote it. So I was super glad they did that. And their motivation was when Colin Kaepernick, kind of when he was the first or among the original to take a knee to protest racial injustice, they got to thinking about all of the other athlete activists. And actually one of the authors of this book heard a story about the Kennesaw State Cheerleaders, which is in Georgia, they actually took a knee in support of Kaepernick. And so she got to interview some of them. She went to a protest with them and got to interview some of the girls and saw the things that happened to them as a result of taking this stance. So I thought that was super interesting. They said that they were struck by their determination and the bravery. And so this led to their story. So it's a story of two friends on a high school cheerleading team who chose to kneel during the national anthem because a former player, one of their former superstars, he's kind of in that Colin Kaepernick type role. I think that's sort of what they're doing. This book's about standing up for what you believe in, no matter the consequences. And they mentioned too in their author's note that they chose to set this in 2019. Because I think with 2020, the conversation around this sort of racial injustice changed a lot. So they chose to set it just before this, um, just to give you a little bit of context there. And you have two characters. They are Eleanor, who goes by Lenny, and Chanel, who goes by Nellie, and then Sam, who goes by three. (laughs) So I was laughing. One of my best friends texted me. She's like, what's one thing that you hate about a book that'll make you put it down? And she's like, mine is nicknames. (laughs) I was like, you would not (laughs) like this book because constantly they're like, you know, Chanel, Nellie. Anyway, there's a lot of nicknames in this book. (laughs) It starts with Lenny rehabbing. So she's a flyer in cheerleading. That's one thing I will say about this book. I was a cheerleader for 13 years, know a lot about the sport. I loved the cheerleading aspect. They did a really good job talking about stuns, talking about nationals. What I liked about that, they actually really did some research and incorporated accurate cheerleading terminology in the book, which I personally really enjoyed. So when the two girls take this knee, only one of the cheerleaders suffered any real consequences from it. And I will let you uh, guess which cheerleader that was. Tons of great themes in this book. I think this would be a really, really good topic for teens to read. I will say this did feel YA, but obviously it is a YA book, so that's not a big deal. What made me add this to my list too is because I really liked the author's last book, We Are Not Dying With You Tonight. I loved that book. That one was very dramatic and kind of suspense-filled. This one is a little bit quieter. Nellie has a great character arc. She went from this type A, very kind of leader of the pack person to someone who is really coming into her own by the end of the story. I will say I kind of wish they would have delved a little bit more into that activism. They kind of took a couple tacks away from that jumping off point, which was fine. It made for a good story. I think it was just what my distracted brain needed. And I did enjoy it. I listened to it. And I think it was a good listening experience. One of my favorite quotes from that book is, your good intentions are not enough. 
basically talking to one of the characters who was like, no, I support this, but wasn't willing to take a stand. I totally get it. It's complicated. And I loved reading about teens kind of learning to form their opinions and then back them up. Really, it was a fun reading experience. This was Why We Fly by Kimberly Jones and Gilly Seagal. Okay. Interesting. Okay. We are moving into our new shelf editions. (laughs) We are. Oh my gosh. Yes, we are. Okay. I went with a book. Okay. I'm going to make a statement. Uh Uh-oh. I guarantee. Okay. I don't know if I can guarantee that. I predict that I am going to 100% love this book. Okay. Okay. So I'm, yeah, I know. I'm going to say it because now whether or not I can wait till January 3rd of 2023 to read it, we'll see. It's Age of Vice by Deepti Kapoor. Mm -hmm. You're going to love this. (laughs) Um, I'll be shocked if I do not love this book. This is so me. This is set in New Delhi and the opening scene takes place at 3 a.m. You have a speeding Mercedes, which jumps the curb, and in the blink of an eye, five people are dead. It's a rich man's car. However, when the dust settles, there is no rich man at all, just a shell-shocked servant who cannot explain the strange series of events that led to this crime. And he also cannot foresee the dark drama that is about to unfold. This story will shift between time and perspective in contemporary India. It is about seductive wealth, corruption, and violence in terms involving the Wadia family, which is a family that is loved by some and loathed by others, but feared by all. This is part crime thriller, part family saga, and it also involves what sounds like three main characters. You have AJ, who's the watchful servant who's born into poverty and rises through the family's ranks. I should say it sounds like this family, the Wadia family, is a bit of a mafia-type family, mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. is my is really what it's, yeah, is what I'm guessing. Okay, so you have AJ, you have Sonny, who's the playboy heir who dreams of outshining his father. You have Nita, the curious journalist caught between morality and desire. The publisher is saying that there is a sweeping plot fueled by loss, pleasure, greed, yearning, violence, and revenge. And all of these characters' connections become a path to escape or they could trigger further destruction. All right, the themes in this book, which is being billed as an intoxicating novel, the themes are a combination of gangsters and lovers, false friendships, forbidden romance, and the consequences of corruption. It is binge-worthy entertainment at its literary best, says the blurb. There is nothing about this whole setup and synopsis and marketing that I do not like. That was Age of Ice by Deepti Kapoor. Yes, I remember. I saw this one and thought, okay, this is a Renee. <laughs> I feel like it sounds really good. And I agree. <laughs> I do think that this is going to be one of the more popular books for early 2023. And 
kind of keeping in tune. Okay, I debated about this because it doesn't come out until uh, June 2023. However, hear hear me out. Oh. I typically don't. Okay. I typically don't accept or, you know, kind of request books on NetGalley this far in advance. But once in a while, a publisher will email me and say, hey, you know, this is the book. Are you interested? Renee, if you've stopped me if you've heard this. Do you know The Girls of Summer by Katie Bishop? No, I don't know that. Okay, cool. Let me tell you about it then. All right. This email came from St. Martin's Press, and they're calling it one of their most exciting 2023 releases. And I was like, all right, well, let me see what's going on. Here's what got me. It's set on a remote Greek island. There is an all-consuming summer love affair, an enigmatic and wealthy older man in dark, deeply suppressed secrets. And they're calling it one of the buzziest books of summer. So I was like, all right, I'm I'm going to be interested in this because I love the setting. And it's about Rachel, who's been in love with Alistair for 15 years, even though she's now married to someone else, even though she was Ooh. a teenager when they met, and even though he is 20 years older than her. I'm hoping teenager, like 18. But anyway, Rachel and oh. Alistair's summer love affair on a remote, sun-trapped Greek island has consumed her since she was 17. Ooh obliterating everything in its wake. But as Rachel becomes increasingly obsessed with reliving the events of so long ago, she reconnects with the other girls who were similarly drawn into life on the island where the nights were long, the alcohol was free-flowing, and everyone acted in ways they would never do at home. And as she does, deep and darkly suppressed secrets about her first love affair begin to rise to the surface, as well as the truth about her time working for an enigmatic and wealthy man who controlled so much more of her life than she ever realized. And it sounded a little bit to me like my dark Vanessa. This is joining the post hashtag me to discourse and grapples with themes of power, sex, and consent. So I hope it's good. I hope it's not Hopefully it's done super well, and hopefully it's not mm-hmm. overly icky, but I thought it had a lot of promise. This was The Girls of Summer by Katie Bishop. Yeah, that sounds good. Your setup gave me just a little t- tiny bit of vibes of of The Paper Palace. <gasps> so I wonder, mm-hmm. I'll be curious. Uh, that'll be one I want to, yeah, I definitely want to read and check out. And I know I still haven't possibly convinced you to give the paper palace another go, but maybe you will. Maybe I will. I was going to say, maybe I will uh, try the paper palace by summer 2023. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. That's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, you can help us by following us wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple podcasts. It truly helps us get our show out to new listeners and grows our audience. And don't forget, If you would like access to exclusive bonus content, you can join us for $5 a month on patreon.com slash booktalk, etc. Feedback and questions about the show can be sent to booktalketc at gmail.com. You can also connect with us both at booktalketc on Instagram, Tina at TBR, etc., and me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books. Yeah, we're 100% here. Everything is here, um, but in boxes and every available surface has something on it. So, yeah, <laughs> but it's good. Yes. It's exciting. Okay.